The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the web. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd. I'm the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank. Mari's a local attorney and certified information privacy professional. She's the author of several books, including Safeguard Your Identity, From Victim to Victor, and The Complete Idiot's Guide to Recovering from Identity Theft. She's testified many times in Congress and the California Legislature on privacy and identity theft issues. And you may have seen her on Dateline, 48 Hour, CNN, NBC, ABC, O'Reilly Factor, and many other shows, including her own 90-minute PBS television special, Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org slash Privacy Piracy. Hey, Mari, what's our show about today? Well, Lloyd, our show today is about a very, very important issue, and this is with regard to photos on the Internet. And I am going to tell you more about that in just a few minutes But this was a huge case that was very tragic and very important, especially here in Orange County, California. But let me tell you about our fabulous guest. Keith Brummer is an attorney right here in Newport Beach, beautiful Newport Beach. He is with the law firm of Brummer, White, Brown, and O'Meara, LLP. And he has experience in all aspects of civil litigation, And he's had the privilege of representing auto manufacturers, auto dealerships, contractors, business owners, and everybody in trial. He also has been featured, a featured contributor in the Orange County Register, the business section, and has been featured in many other uh, periodicals such as Newsweek, Forbes, AOL, the Los Angeles Times, the Los Angeles Daily Journal, which is our legal newspaper in California, CBS, NBC, Fox, KCAL, and KTLA News, and he recently consulted and appeared on ABC's 2020 and the CBS Evening News with Katie Couric. And I am just so thrilled that he's on. He's a regular, uh, and he's a regular with regard to consulting with lobbyists and the insurance industry, and he has really gotten into privacy in, as of late, especially with this very large case. So, I want to get started with him right now. You can learn much more about him and his uh, his awards that he's won and all the great things that he is doing, but I want to get started. So thank you so much for joining us, Keith. I know you're having a busy morning. Yeah, well, thank you very much. Thank you for that nice introduction. Well, look at, well let's talk a little bit about what happened with Nikki Katsouris and um I remember her dad from the days when he owned a restaurant right here, a wonderful, wonderful guy, a great family man. Could you tell the story of what happened and how they came to find you? Sure. Um, well, in October of about 2006, um, Nikki was one of four children from, from uh, Leslie and Christos. Um, there was uh, you know, a child-parent disagreement with regard to some things that were going on. And the Katsuris parents, like any parents, took the keys away from their daughter and said that you couldn't use your car for a period of time. Uh, they got into a bit of a fight over that issue and told Nikki to go to her room. They then retreated to a different room. Uh, the next thing they heard was the garage door open, and Nikki had taken the keys to her dad's Porsche. 
and run out of the house and, and uh, driven away. Um, she had never driven that car before. Uh, they panicked. Uh, they called 911 and said that our daughter had taken the car. Uh, she sped down a toll road not far from their house, uh, lost control of the car. It hit a toll booth, and she was uh, tragically killed. Um, the police obviously showed up, the California Highway Patrol. The Highway Patrol cordoned off the area, performed a full inspection uh, investigation, and took photographs. Um, when the photographer got back to the office, he took a, a couple of those photographs, I would say pro maybe six to seven, I'm not sure of the exact numbers I sit here, and forwarded them, on, forwarded them on to a couple of other people, including two dispatchers. Uh, one of the dispatchers uh, sent the photographs to his house, where he said that he used them and looked at them and shared them with his family. Another dispatcher sent them to his house and then sent them out to friends and family, uh, claiming that he was concerned about issues concerning drinking and driving, even though this was not a drinking and driving situation. Mm. Uh, within about a week, those photographs started to find themselves uh, on the Internet. They were being sent by way of um, cyberbullying, by way of cyber texts to different people, um, and they were even being sent to the family. So I was contacted probably within two to three weeks to say this was going on and what could they do. By that time, they had already contacted the California Highway Patrol to ask for help. Obviously, the California Highway Patrol was caught a little bit off guard, probably was in a little bit of a defensive mode and wasn't really stepping up. Our first line of, of defense, obviously, was to get those portals that were putting these photographs up to take them down and to try to find out you know, where those photographs came, came from. We knew that the photographs came from the, investi from the investigation and the crime scene because it was a cordoned off area no one had access and the photographs were in pretty close proximity. I should note uh, that the photographs were extremely um, offensive. Um, unfortunately, uh, in this auto accident, uh, Nikki was practically decapitated, and there's photographs uh, of the head injury, the body, the blood, mm. etc. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the first uh, line, the first line that we wanted to attack, obviously, was to, was to get the photographs off the internet so that they wouldn't infiltrate or catch fire and, and spread. And that's just been a never-ending uh, battle. We did have, we have had, and we did have some successes in terms of trying to limit it, but it's been pretty bad. So, at some point, that all. Uh, just kind of became an ordinary course of what we had to do in terms of contacting Google, Facebook, MySpace, all the different types of sites and asking them to remove them. Remember, we didn't own those pictures, right. so we, we couldn't claim that we had standing to make certain claims. So while we wrote cease and desist letters, some of those were really just veiled threats. Um, at that point, we weren't getting any cooperation from the California Highway Patrol to join to the extent that we had recalcitrants who were not willing to help us take those down. I should note that the bigger portals were all great. And they did, they did uh, remove those. In the same breath, we retained an entity out of Northern California known as Reputation Defenders. And what happens on that side is basically somebody badmouths you on the Internet. It becomes a blog. It becomes a hot topic. And when someone Googles your name, something dastardly comes up as, as a higher ranking. Uh, what Reputation Defenders is able to do is to push that content down so that those who are searching for, say, Nikki Katsuris will find the more meaningful positive things and would have to go to page two or three or five to get to the more negative stuff. So that's what we were doing at the same time. Yeah, we, we actually had the CEO of Reputation, or Reputation Defender on our show about oh, just when they first started out to talk about that, what they 
what they were doing. So it doesn't completely erase it from the Internet. But like you said, it's several pages down. And the more that you add the good stuff, it pushes that down and, and the more recent stuff. So but it but it never is really gone. We can't. I mean, we've tried desperately to try to remove the content. At this point, it's just been so infiltrated uh, and so widely spread that it's just, you know, our oh. best efforts are really to keep the content down to the extent it gets on the bigger portals. We do contact them and get that removed. But Reputation Defenders and the, the individual that you interviewed uh, is a guy named Michael Furtek. Yes, and yes. And we coordinate and work with Michael a lot on these types of cases, and he's a fantastic uh, partner. So anyway, so... But let talk, me, let me stop ahead. you for a second. How is it that uh, Leslie and Christos even found out about that. that. That's the worst part, right? Absolutely. So what happened was the family started to get some of these, um, these target texts, which when you opened it would show a photograph. It would actually say something like, and this was very common, Fletcher Jones. So it would have a tagline that would, would show something like an advertisement. Now, Fletcher Jones is, is one of the larger Mercedes dealerships in the United States. They're out of Newport Beach. And you would click on Fletcher Jones, and then it would launch this photograph. That was actually oh. a popular thing that they would do. The family, not Christos, not Leslie, and not their immediate children, did not get those that uh, about 10 days out. Uh, other family members did. And those other family members got involved immediately in trying to figure out where the photographs came from and what they could do without actually disclosing this to Leslie and Christos for obvious reasons they didn't want to exacerbate an already, you know, unbearable situation. But at some point it just became so obvious that it was infiltrating the Internet and becoming such a bigger issue and they couldn't contain that fire that they had to go to Leslie and Christos to say, listen, this is what we've got, this is what's going on out there, and we're going to need to take a more active role in doing something. Now, when when they brought these pictures and they showed the pictures to the California Highway Patrol, what did the California Highway Patrol do? Well, at first, you know, the, the first line of defense was, was a denial that, you know, it wasn't from the investigation. But that really was just a momentary uh, response. Uh, right after that, they identified that, in fact, they were their photographs. Um, and they stated that, that, you know, they're not protected, that they are public information. They're pursuant to a... Uh, an investigation. They're going to be part of a police report, which is a public record. And so while they were, you know, obviously disappointed, there wasn't any violations of any statutory or case law with regard to the disclosure of that, of those photographs. And again, at that point, you know, when I was hired at that point, our main focus, our only focus was just to, to get them off the sites you know, to try to contain that risk that it would infiltrate to the level in which it's at today. Yes. So that's all we were focusing on. So what were some of the legal challenges that you had? Well, they were, they were pretty obvious. I mean, listen, uh, identifying who those sources are and where those sources are with regard to the individuals that were sending um, missives. So what we had is we had individuals in different areas sending the emails to the family, which would say, you know, woohoo, daddy, I'm still alive. And then Christos would open that email oh. and there would be a photograph there of his daughter. Oh. Um, there would be people posting uh, fake uh, Facebooks, uh, uh, as as Nikki Katsura. Oh no, that's that's identity theft too. <laughs> so what we did in that situation is our first line of, of you know of attack was to remove it from the websites immediately, and then secondarily try to identify who these individuals were that were doing these things. Right. Um, and so with regard to that issue. Um, when we were able to identify who they were, you know, we would write cease and desist letters. Um, and again, I think we had pretty darn good success 
uh, with those cease and desist letters to get people to stop engaging in that type of activity and or removing it from their websites. The unfortunate situation is some of these portals and some of the owners of these websites, they're just not traceable. They might be out of the country. They're not traceable. It's just too costly to, to go any deeper in terms of trying to find out where they're coming from. So all you can do is get them off the websites to the extent you can find the portal. <coughs> And secondarily, ask them uh, to not do it again. Again, our cease and desist letters worked as a scare tactic, but we don't own or control those photographs. So, like NBC owns the rights to 9-11, so to the extent somebody puts up the photographs of the planes flying into the buildings, NBC then can run a certain search on its, on its uh, Internet-type programs, find out who's doing that, write letters and say, we own and control, remove that immediately, or you'll be sued for violating our patent trademark, our ownership of those photographs. Right. We weren't in that position. We didn't have ownership and control. We, at that point, did not have cooperation with the CHP to the extent somebody pushed back that they would follow up and say, in fact, we do own those photographs, and we're asking that you remove them. Oh, so they refused to do that. They refused That's to right. do that. Mm-hmm. And they were in a catch-22. Their position... I'm sure internally was to the extent that they wrote such a letter, then they would then be acknowledging that there are protected photographs to which they could request be removed. And again, in the same breath, they were arguing to us, we haven't violated any laws or statutes. This is public information, and to the extent it's, it's out there, you know, that doesn't violate anything. So they certainly couldn't write, we own this, and it's, you know, we're asking you to remove it because they're arguing in our case, or they didn't want to, you know, admit any liability, that in fact, this was public information. Mm. Hmm. Horrible, horrible. So let me ask you something. When you when you found out who these people were, were they individuals who had put it up? Uh, were they what kind of people would do something like that and and send these kind of emails? Were they people who knew the family? No, no. So you mean you just you know it's funny when we got this case and I started working on this case in two thousand six, and I decided at some point as the case matured that you know. We should consider going after the California Highway Patrol and the officers that actually started this this fire. Uh, everyone told me, "Well, your problem is going to be proximate cause that that you're never going to be able to show that just releasing that photograph would have the force and effect that it would have within the community." Yeah. And at that point, you know what we're really talking about is what is is cyberbullying, and no one even knew what that term was. Mm. Um, and so, you know, by the time we we got to trial or on the eve of trial, wherein this case was settled. Cyberbullying and this type of activity is totally understandable. Every parent tells their child, don't put something up on Facebook that you're not going to be comfortable seeing 20 years from now. Well, when we started this case six years ago, no one thought that. So it's just an interesting turn of events and how we learn quickly, you know, from experience. Wow. Did, did they say that they were sorry about that to the family, you know, when you first told them about it, or they didn't even want to do that? Yeah, no, we definitely got a letter from the California Highway Patrol which acknowledged their sympathy with regard to what occurred in the situation. We did get a letter that acknowledged that it was it was their their investigative photographs and that they were sorry that they were uh, leaked out. We did get that. Did you get that in the beginning or did you get that when they settled? No, no, we got that pretty early on. Okay. Okay. But again, even at that point in time, what we really wanted was complete cooperation from yeah. them with let regard them to hacking all the letters. All these sides. Yeah, let them write all the letters and, and deal with that. So um, let me ask you, what I saw in the paper that it looked like it settled for, what, $4.5 million? $2.4 million. $2.4 million, right. And so uh, tell us a little bit about that settlement. Sure. So what happened was, again, about maybe six months to a year after we started working on trying to get the Internet sites to take these down and try to find out the individuals who were doing those things, we changed our focus uh, 
to whether or not the activity by these officers and by the California Highway Patrol could have been in violation of civil law, whether or not we could, we could go after them as a result of starting this fire, for lack of a better word. Um, and we knew it was an uphill battle. I mean, there is a strong argument that this information is public record, that it would be part of a police report. Uh, again, there's no internal safety codes, municipal codes, or, or California um, case law that says that the, these types of investigative photographs are protected. And there was also issues concerning First Amendment to some degree. My argument was this wasn't speech, this was action. Actually taking photographs from one scene and then posting them on the Internet is action, it's not speech. Right. And so uh, we decided we would, we would go for it, for lack of a better word. We filed a lawsuit. Obviously, the California Highway Patrol and the officers uh, argued vehemently and took a very strong stance. They challenged the pleadings, and the uh, Orange County Superior Court threw the case out. Uh, we then filed an appeal with the Court of Appeals, the Fourth Appellate Court of Appeals, arguing that we did have standing, that it was a violation of the right to privacy, and, uh, and that these officers were in the course and scope of employment at the time in which they, they did these things. Uh, the California uh, Court of Appeals, the Fourth District, agreed with us and issued a um, a decision, which is a published decision, establishing new case law. And basically, what they concluded was that the right to privacy uh, does survive to the surviving family uh, in this setting, and that there was an expectation of privacy with regard to the conduct and investigation of the police officers. So our case was then put back on the docket. We were then returned to Superior Court. Uh, we then got a trial date, and on the eve of trial, um, the, the judge uh, recommended or ordered that the parties sit down and try to resolve this case amicably by way of what's called a mandatory settlement conference. Uh, I went with no expectation. I told the clients they have no expectation that it's been nothing but a bitter fight for six years with really mm. no dis dialogue whatsoever mm. in any spirited way. And uh, fortunately, uh, the case did resolve. And so do you think the fact that taxpayer money was used affected this case? I think it might have affected uh, the California Highway Patrol's failure to early and expeditiously review and evaluate the potential exposure and try to resolve the case early on for probably a better number because it was taxpayer money, because they wanted to make the public policy argument that it was public information, because they wanted to try to fight this case. But ultimately, I think they had to pay a premium because it was on the eve of trial. And I think they were looking at huge exposure to the extent the jury agreed that these officers were in the course and scope and what they did was outrageous. It, it totally was outrageous. So do we, now we have case law that, that helps, but do we, is there a need for statutes? Do we need to do that? Or is there any possibility of getting statutes that would be codifying all this? Well, you know, some, some cities are doing that. Um, I have read where different cities have come up with municipal statutes and safety orders from public uh, requiring that the public entities maintain and safeguard certain photographs that are taken during investigation which provide no public benefit to be disclosed. So again, in this particular setting, there was no public benefit to, and that's part of the argument the California Highway Patrol made, there was no public benefit to producing these investigative photographs. There was nothing to be gained out of it. Um, they were just grotesque and inappropriate. And so similarly, uh, there's a case, I believe it was in Cincinnati, where a firefighter went in to fight a fire, uh, went in and there was a, a young female woman who had her top off, uh, who was on the ground, and um, 
incapacitated who took a photograph of her with a cell phone and then disclosed that photograph to third parties. Now, that case settled almost overnight afterwards, um, but it's my understanding that the city then implemented uh, safety orders with regard to public entities and the, require, and the requirements that you not use your your you know your own personal equipment for photographs, that the photographs be maintained in the, in the evidence locker, et cetera. It seems to me that we should have a California statute re- regarding this so that you don't have to go municipal place by, you know, city by city to do this. I would agree with you, but I can, I can tell you I, I would be shocked if, if the California Highway Patrol and other public entities in the immediate vicinity with regard to this case uh, didn't look at their internal public policy, with reg- their internal policy with regard to whether uh, investigators can use their own private camera, their own cell phone to take photographs, uh, and that they have to keep those photographs in the evidence locker. So is that something that you think is being trained now, that they, that this is a part of their administrative policies throughout the state and maybe the country? Is that something that you think is changing? Absolutely. I'm 100% confident that this issue is, is ripe. It's being discussed uh, publicly and privately, and that uh, manuals internally are being formulated to address these issues because the Internet is such a risky business. Yes, so let me ask you something. If, if somebody is listening to this and they feel that there has been some wrongful or hurtful photos that were taken by, you know, law enforcement and, and they're all over the Internet, what should they do? Well, I think you have to look at every situation differently. I mean, our situation, I think, was, was a unique situation, but I think that he or she should look to see whether or not those photographs were meant for for taken for the for the sole purpose of an investigation to determine what occurred and whether or not they were intended to be made public. I mean, in our situation, it was clear that these were investigative photographs that provided no public benefit to be disclosed. There was no intention that they would ever be disclosed. There would have been no media interest in them being disclosed, but for the fact that these investigative officers released those photographs to others that were not within that chain of investigation, and then it caught fire. So that's a public entity. What about private entities? I, I had a woman who called me. Her, her, she was a, a model in the United States who never modeled anything provocative. And someone took her a picture of her head and put it on a porno site uh, in Germany. And she was trying desperately to get this down because it really wasn't her body, but it made it look like she was a porno star and it was ruining her reputation. So what do you, what do you think about when private entities do this kind of thing? It's a, it's a whole different story. It is, and I think that there would be potential civil liability for a violation of the right to privacy in that setting, and I think that there might be other causes of action. I haven't thought of them, but in that setting, I would be very comfortable with identifying who the third party was who did that, uh, who violated her right to privacy, um, and whether or not that could be perceived either as a joke or, in all sincerity, whether that is her body attached to that head. I mean, listen, it becomes speech if it becomes so obvious that it's a joke and someone finds it funny and the photograph was taken in a public place. I mean, there's a number of different factors that are that are in play there. You know, we had something here in Orange County, I don't know if you remember, it was a form of cyberbullying where some kids took their teacher's head and put it on a naked body and then had put, had passed it around by email. Do you remember that? No, oh. I don't. But again, in that situation, uh, I think that the the interpretation would be that that's a parody, that that's a, that's a joke, so that's speech. Yes. So, so the that, question is, is, would a reasonable person in similar circumstances interpret that to be a parody or a joke, or would they not and assume that, in fact, it's reality? So one of them is going to be protected speech. The parody is going to be their protected speech. What about defamation? 
you definitely have defamation, uh, and, and it would be, in this case, it would be libel because it would be in writing. Um, and again, it would come down to whether or not it's a First Amendment issue or whether it's a violation of the right to privacy. Again, to the extent that it's clearly humor and it's clearly meant as a joke or sarcasm as opposed to the reality, then you wouldn't have a good case. I mean, again, if I, if I libel you and say, you know, Marie is this, that, or the other, and it's clearly I'm puffing yes. versus I'm saying the truth, then it's not actionable. Right. But if a reasonable person in similar circumstances, that's the reasonable person standard, would interpret that as, as me being sincere in saying that, and in fact it's not true, then of course I am subject to libel or slander. We are speaking with Keith Bremer, who is an experienced attorney in civil litigation, and he's really been going on these privacy disputes and these privacy cases. So do you think that we're going to be having more lawsuits of this nature in the future? I do think so. I mean, I think what we've got right now is people are starting to stand, people are starting to stand up for themselves to the extent that people take ownership or control of photographs that they don't have ownership of control of, and they're using them liberally uh, to promote their own own interests, that being either personal gratification or for financial gratification. The problems that you're having, though, a lot of the cases we're seeing is that somebody's allowing somebody else to take that photograph. Mm. And, and in that case, they don't have the ownership or control, and they've already voluntarily allowed that person to take the photograph. So there's no reasonable expectation of privacy when you give it to a third person. And we see these kids that are taking pictures of themselves and sending it to their boyfriends, and then their boyfriends are putting it up on the Internet. So what, that's, that's what you're talking about. They gave it out to begin with, right? That's correct. It's no different than you and I have an attorney-client relationship, and we have an attorney-client discussion in a Starbucks with five people listening. There's no reasonable expectation of privacy in that setting, and therefore it's not actionable when somebody takes that information and broadcasts it. I'll tell you, privacy is really changing in this Internet and the information age, isn't it? It is, and I think that, like I said earlier, everyone needs to understand and needs to educate their children and friends that to the extent that you put something in the Internet, either an email or a communication or a photograph, you have to expect that that will be an imprint that will be on your head for the rest of your life. So how is the family coping with this? You know, they're, they're such a nice couple and good, adorable kids, and it's, uh, it's such a tragedy. How are they doing? I, I think they're... they're uh, at this point, starting to try to recover a little bit, I think that this unfortunate situation, which has exacerbated what, what has been so catastrophic in terms of what they had to go through from just losing their daughter, uh, I think since this chapter itself is going to close, I think it's going to allow them to try to grieve and heal in a normal fashion if, if there is any normalcy to trying to grieve from the loss of a child. But I think knowing that this has been resolved, knowing that the California Highway Patrol stepped up and said, listen, we'll take responsibility, listen, we'll, t- we'll be helping going forward, I think is a huge relief off their shoulders. And again, the money wasn't the driving force. It was really just the acknowledgement that, hey, we made a mistake. It should have never happened. We're sorry, and we're going to back you moving forward. And not only that, just the fact that you've done this is going to make a difference in all, not only in California for various, you know, uh, public entities like policemen and sheriff's department. It's going to make a difference. So, you know, it, it wasn't just about the money. It was about making the difference so that hopefully this won't happen again to another family. Well, and I do think that that's an important thing to talk about. I mean, I think, that cli- I think that the clients or my family, they they have a legacy there. I mean, Nikki didn't die in vain, so to speak. You know, we do have a published opinion that says the right to privacy in this setting is going to survive, and that others who have to go through this are going to understand there's going to be ri- there, there's going to be ramifications to this activity. So I think that is good. And so, are you still trying to get this stuff off the internet? Is it still creeping up out there? Absolutely, yeah. It's a full-time job, and to the extent that, that we see it in a public forum 
on a portal that we know we can reach and contact, and we'll make that move. And in the same breath, Reputation Defenders has, has been stalwarty in supporting uh, our efforts. And so, so how do you how do you find out about this? Somebody will send it to you. Is that what happens? Or they will. The people will put us on notice that it's here, there, and then we'll go investigate it. And you know, that's another legacy I think that that needs. To be, that everyone needs to be reminded about. I think the nice thing is that people understand now that to the extent you get this type of a photograph, what was happening six years ago is people were forwarding it on to another person. Hey, did you see this? This is right. disgusting. Everyone needs to understand this is a real human being, and, and these are real people with real emotions. And I think the good news is what we've heard is so many people say, I got this, and I'm not sending it on. I'm sending it to you, and I'm deleting it from my, mm. from my folder. And I think that's a good thing. I think people need to understand if we all keep passing these things on, we're kind of perpetrating the wrongdoing. Yes. yes, we are. Well, we are out of time, and you are so wonderful. Thank you so much for joining us, Keith. And we, uh, we appreciate all the good work that you did for the family and making a real change in the law and you're doing a terrific job and we appreciate it. So thank well, you so much. Thanks for letting me share their story. I appreciate that. All right. Thank you so much. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm Mari Frank. Join us every Monday morning at 8 a.m. right here on KUCI and visit our website at KUCI.org slash privacy piracy. Thanks. Stay private. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.